0: Turkaholics, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of Football a la Turca. My name is Kam Bayezid and as promised we are bringing you our fourth and final European group stage preview. We've covered all the Europa League groups with Group C, J and K featuring Trabzonspor, Başakşehir, and finally Besiktas. That episode is exclusively available on the Black Eagles podcast feed. So today we are focusing on the UEFA Champions League and of course that will feature the reigning defending Turkish Super League champions Galatasaray, who were drawn in Group A. A tough group because from Pot 1 they got Paris Saint Germain, from Pot 2 they got Real Madrid, and from Pot 3 they got Club Brugge. That will certainly prove to be a tough challenge, but we'll have to wait and see how Galatasaray fare in this group. Please don't forget to share and subscribe to the podcast and drop us a 5 star review on iTunes. And if you would like to support the podcast through other means, please head over to www.patreon.com fault. That's spelled out F-A-L-T, and you can become an official Turkaholic or a Turkomaniac supporting the podcast. But without further ado, let's get straight into it. Let's start off with Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> we're going to start off by talking about the pot one team, which is Paris Saint-Germain, and joining us live right now is uh, the official correspondent for ESPN, for uh, Paris Saint-Germain, Jonathan Johnson, live from Paris. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Uh, thanks a lot for having me on.
0: So Jonathan, obviously Paris Saint-Germain, the league winners once again in France last season. What is it now? Um, eight out of the last nine years or so, I think Monaco? Got one in between there, but it's been pretty dominant uh, for for PSG the last uh, decade or so in in France.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Although, uh, you know, that said, last season wasn't PSG's finest moment. Yes, they did win De Young. We're quite comfortable. I don't think they even slipped off of top spot after... I know even just like a, a couple of weeks, I mean, it was pretty much a, a straight run. Um, yeah, I think they, they even hit top spot before the end of August and stayed there the whole way through. But, uh, you know, the Champions League didn't go according to plan where they dropped out in the round of 16 after that. Um, unbelievable reversal uh, home to Manchester United after winning away. Um, the, the, the biggest surprise, I think, of the of, of this season... Uh, was actually the way that they underperformed in the domestic cups because it's usually assumed that PSG will win one, if not both, of, uh, of the, the Coupe de France and Coupe de la Ligue. Uh, but for them to go out in the, in the Coupe de la Ligue quarterfinals at home to gang on, despite the fact it was a very bizarre um, match, um, you know, that was a big shock. And then uh, to lose the, the Coupe de France final <clears throat> in the way that they did, Uh, against Rennes on penalties, uh, you know, nobody saw that coming either. So last season, despite the fact that PSG did uh, guarantee themselves Champions League football again uh, for this campaign, uh, you know, it was arguably the least successful um, season since since their debut term under the Qataris.
0: So is it a surprise to you that Thomas Tuchel was allowed to remain in place as Paris Saint-Germain's coach following last season's disappointment?
1: wasn't so much a, a surprise that he was allowed to stay in place. What was a surprise was him being handed um, the, the contract extension um, at the end of last season. But then again, you know, this is something that uh, knowing what was going on at the club, the actual contract extension was signed before PSG came up against Manchester United in the Champions League and ended up going out. Um, and bizarrely, PSG decided to wait until the end of a very disappointing season uh, to announce the news, so it, it came about at a strange time. Even though uh, Tuchel had put pen to paper on it months uh, before it was actually uh, made official by PSG, so you know that I, I'd say the the contract extension, um, if it was something that PSG could have gotten out of, was um, a bit bizarre given the way that the the season finished. That said, uh, you know I think you know PSG did really need to to, to give Tuchel. Um, another season, uh, particularly with the way that, uh, that things went very, very well in the first the, the first part of the, the campaign, and then things unravelled due to, to some you know pretty big um, slices of, uh, of, of misfortune. You know, another injury to, to Neymar, uh, Cavani also picked up an injury and continues um, uh, to pick up injuries. So it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was it was a little surprising to see Tuchel backed uh, when you consider the way that the last season finished. But also at the same time, it was you know it was quite good to see uh, him given uh, you know this this season to, to, to prove himself. Uh, but I think you know with a new sporting director in charge now, um, with Leonardo returning to the club over the summer, uh, I'm I'm not so sure that Tuchel will receive the same confidence um, next summer if uh, you know PSG suffer an equally. Uh, fruitless
0: season and you already spoke about the man a little little bit Uh, you spoke about Neymar of course and the whole summer has kind of been dominated by rumors of will he stay will he go and Real Madrid were being linked of course and and Barcelona were being rumored and there were serious rumors uh, up until deadline day that Neymar would actually return to uh, Barcelona but it ended up not happening. Tuckle has spoken about him numerous times throughout the summer. Uh, not really being sure about what the situation was with the Brazilian. And yeah, he ended up staying... Is he going to get reintegrated into the squad? I know there's some issues with uh, the Paris Saint-Germain's ultra, Ultras, who aren't too keen on it. What's the situation there? And uh, if he doesn't get reintegrated, who are Paris Saint-Germain going to look towards to uh, lead the, the the charge, so to speak, in going into the Champions League and uh, the season as a whole?
1: I mean, I don't think PSG are going to let, uh, you know, somebody of Neymar's um, ability and value just rot um, in the reserves. You know, I think they will bring him back into the fold um, and try to, uh, you know, try to figure out a, a way forward with, uh, you know, with, with him as, as part of the squad. But I mean, some, something that's worth bearing in mind with Neymar, I mean, before we, you know, before we even get into sorts of the alternatives when he's not playing, is the fact that he's banned for half of the the Champions League group stage. So, you know, he won't be playing against Real Madrid at home. He won't be playing away at Galatasaray. Uh, and he won't be playing away at Club um, Brugger either. So, you know, that's three matches that, that Neymar is definitely going to miss. So, in those games, you know, PSG are going to have to rely on uh, the likes of Kylian Mbappe, uh, the likes of Edinson Cavani, and particularly the likes of Mauro Icardi, because I'm not convinced, um, certainly regarding Cavani, when you consider how often he's been injured uh, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, uh, I'm not convinced that both of those guys are going to be back in time for the for the group opener against Real Madrid. Uh, I imagine that both will be operational by the time uh, the start of October rolls around, so that trip away to Galatasaray, which uh you know is going to be a very fiery affair when you consider the 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 history uh that these two sets of fans have particularly after the 2001 uh hooligan clashes so it it, you know it's shaping up to be to be very interesting as far as psg and galatasaray are concerned and where neymar uh is 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 concerned uh, you know we're just gonna have to wait and see how how psg play it but that suspension. Uh, is is obviously going to keep him out of a a large chunk of of Champions League action. But I do think as soon as um, the international break is over and club football comes back, we'll see him feature against Grasbord, which is PSG's first uh, fixture, which comes up before the Real Madrid one. But, uh, you know, he was a surprise addition towards the end of the transfer window and PSG are going to need to get Icardi up to speed as quickly as possible because... Uh, you know he is on his day. You know when he's fit and in form, he's an absolutely lethal striker. Um, I I don't think there are many better candidates uh, in terms of considering uh, the long-term future without Edinson Cavani than Icardi. Uh, I think that although Icardi comes with a lot of baggage, uh, you know he is a relatively low-risk move for PSG considering that they're not tied into signing him. They can wait and see how things play out um, and. You know, if 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 it does end up being a one-season thing, they've they've only paid a small loan fee. Um, but also at the same time, you know, if he does perform as well as uh, you know we've seen him perform for Inter Milan in the past, uh, and is equally prolific and is very useful in Europe, uh, you know, then I think sort of paying sixty-five to seventy million euros to to make the deal permanent, uh, you know, although it's. Uh, you know, a lot of money for 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 quite a few European clubs. You know, PSG can afford that sort of sum, and you know that's the kind of money that they 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 were always going to need to pay to replace somebody like uh, Cavani. And I think that Icardi, uh, when you bear in mind the player's um, ability and characteristics on its own, without you know, some of the the stress that goes with. Uh, the Icardi show away from the pitch, you know, I think that it could turn out to be a a very good move uh, for PSG. So, uh, you know, I think these first couple of group stage matches, uh, the one against Galatasaray included, is going to be, you know, very, very telling as to, uh, you know, as to how PSG's uh, continental campaign is going to go, who are going to be the key key protagonists uh you know and i think that Ikadi certainly with with neymar ruled out through suspension and uh mbappe and Cavani's status kind of unknown at this moment in time uh you know i think he's he's gonna have to be the 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 main man um you know neymar i'm sure will be back in the picture by the time uh you know psg host uh galatasaray um, in the the final group stage match uh but then again Depending on how the group goes, uh, you know, that match might not count for for, for too much, depending on uh, on results. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I definitely think that, that Neymar will be reintegrated into the squad over the over the next few weeks and months. Uh, and I definitely think that he'll be playing a part by the time Galatasaray visit Parc des Princes in December.
0: And what type of football do you see uh, Paris Saint Germain playing now, especially now without Cavani, without uh, Neymar for the time being? What type of football will Thomas Tuchel be trying to play in the Champions League in these early matches, you believe, and in the early stages of uh, the, the domestic competition?
1: Well, I mean, I think one good thing um, with, with not having to, 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 to rely on Cavani is that it means that in attack, PSG are much, much faster. Which you know will be particularly useful up against a team like Real Madrid, who look quite sluggish um, so far this season. Um, and you know I think that it, obviously having having speed is always going to be a big boost when you're playing away, especially at very uh, intimidating uh, venues. And you know, Galatasaray, it, does, it doesn't get much more intimidating for uh, for teams in terms of Champions League away days. So you know I think that. Um, you know, actually, not having Cavani in some of these Champions League matches will be a benefit in terms of the mobility uh, of the attack. But then again, uh, you know, Cavani's experience, uh, you know, does always come to the fore and is very useful. Um, and if he can get himself back um, to a good level of fitness quite quickly, uh, you know, his goal-scoring ability obviously is, uh, you know, is, is something that PSG can't really do without either. But all things considered um you know i do see psg's main attacking play revolving around uh the likes of uh ikadi mbappe um Angel di maria pablo uh, you know those kind of guys um you know in the first in the first few group stage matches it'll be interesting to see how tukul plays it when he finally has uh, a fully fit squad available to him because we saw him getting very experimental with um, a lot of his formations last season. We haven't seen as much of that this uh, this season so far. Um, but then again, we know that Tuchel, you know, built his uh, his vision for PSG around Neymar. Neymar hasn't been available up until now. You know, so will him being reintegrated change things? Uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But the, you know, the fact of the matter is that after this summer, which I believe has been a good summer as far as PSG are concerned, um, Tuchel now has options in a lot of different areas of the pitch, options that he didn't have last season, particularly in midfield, which was very regularly threadbare. Um, you know, he's no longer going to have to play Marquinhos as a makeshift defensive midfielder because he's got. Idrissa Gueye, he has got Ander Herrera uh, available to him now. Obviously, he's got Marco Verratti as well. So, you know, PSG should be, um, you know, a different beast in this season's Champions League, whether or not, uh, you know, they have the likes of Neymar and uh, and, and Cavani uh, available to play. But I do think, uh, you know, certainly in those first um, couple of matches, particularly going forward, a lot of PSG's play is going to be based around uh, you know, pace and the ability to do quite technical things. Uh, you know, while the ball is moving around at a very high speed.
0: And of course, you know, as you pointed out, rightfully so, PSG have an amazing squad, have a lot of quality. But where are the teams such as Galatasaray and uh, Club Brugge, but maybe even Real Madrid, going to have to look towards exploiting Paris Saint-Germain? What are their main weaknesses, if they have any, really?
1: I mean PSG's obvious main weakness has always been mental. They're very easy to rattle, uh, you know, which is why hostile atmospheres can, can regularly play into, uh, into into the home side's uh, hands because PSG, you know, lose sort of uh, you know their 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 and they they become easier to get at. Uh, the other the other the other obvious weaknesses aside from the mentality are uh, in the two fullback positions I'm a big fan of uh, Juan Bernards and I think he's he's particularly good going forward um, but I think that uh, you know defensively uh, it is easy for easier for teams to, to get at him uh, from time to time and on the right as well Thomas munier has lost his place in the in the starting 11. Uh, it's Colin Dagba, the, the Youth Academy graduate who's getting quite a few starts at the moment under Tuchel. Uh, but we've also seen Tuchel in Europe last season uh, you know, putting players like Tilo um at right back as sort of a makeshift option to, to add a bit of solidity and also to um, enable his um, defence to, to morph into, you know, from, di- from different shapes. Uh, whether or not we'll see that sort of tactical flexibility come back, we're just going to have to wait and see. Um, you know, but it is one of the hallmarks of, of Tuchel as a coach. Um, but I, I definitely think that the main areas that um, all of PSG's Champions League group stage uh, opponents should be targeting, should be uh, you know, their, their fullbacks uh, and also their, their, their mentality. Otherwise, you know, I think PSG look stronger than ever this season um i was always a big fan of alphonse Areola in goal um i think it was a shame or well, i think it is a shame that he's uh, he's been sent on loan to real madrid until the end of the season uh, whether or not he comes back and establishes himself in in the future we'll have to wait and see but kaylor nabas uh you know is a tried and tested uh, you know three-time consecutive champions league winning goalkeeper so uh i think that Defense is going to get a big boost from that. Abdou Diallo has been added at the back as well, so he gives uh, a bit of extra depth, a bit of uh, you know versatility as well. Um, midfield, like I said, it's been completely rejigged since last season. There's been a lot of new, uh, there's been some new faces added, so uh, you know Tuchel suddenly has uh, you know a wealth of options available to him as opposed to last season when he regularly had to play Marquinhos, who. I might add, you know, makes a very good um, deep-lying midfielder. Surprisingly creative, considering uh, you know he's normally a central defender. But you know, those options uh, are far more plentiful now for for Tuchel. And then when you look at the when you look at PSG's attack, I don't really think you can name any any other clubs in in Europe who who boast uh, as much firepower as PSG do at this moment in time.
0: So maybe it will finally be uh, the year for them in the Champions League. Um, but what are your general expectations of this group? Who will end top? Who will end bottom? And in between?
1: I and mean, I think that the you know the obvious matches to look at in terms of dictating who's going to uh, finish top and second will be those um, two PSG Real Madrid matches. And I think you know although it's not ideal for PSG to be going up against Real immediately. Uh, I, do, I do think that, you know, it is a decent time to play Real because they look, uh, you know, like they're, they're, they're yet to get going. So, uh, you know, I think if PSG can beat Real in the same way that they beat Barcelona early on in the group stage a couple of years ago, I think that sets them up well for a, uh, for a crack at top spot. And, you know, I'm confident that PSG could actually uh, end this, uh, this group stage uh, on top ahead of Real Madrid. And then for me, I think it's going to be Galatasaray coming third uh, and uh, Klubbrugge, uh, you know, coming in, uh, coming in last in fourth. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if either Real or PSG finished top of the group. Um, but I, I definitely don't think it'll be either Galatasaray or Brugge uh, finishing ahead of uh, a, a team like PSG or Real.
0: And then finally, do you have any good travel tips for fans of Galatasaray? Or uh, Club Brugge or Real Madrid, deciding to make the trip to Paris. I
1: mean, there's you know there's so many uh, travel tips I guess that I could uh, I, I could pass on. You know, so many fantastic places to go um, and eat and drink. Um, you know the, the the travel links in Paris are, are, are fantastic as well. So it's very easy to uh, to sort of get around um, and see a lot of the city in a very short space of time. Um, I guess my main tip would be, uh, you know, to, I mean, depending as well on what time of year, um, you know, they, they, they visit Paris, it would be to, you know, to, to, to absolutely make the most of the, of, of the opportunities to not only go to the match, but, you know, to also see a lot of the city. Um, and like I said, you know, Paris with its travel links is very, very, uh very very accessible so there's a lot of different uh, you know, things to see must do things uh, you know for tourists to put on their on their on their list and given that most of the visits to Paris are going to be in November uh, and and December uh, you know I think people should definitely leave themselves say like a day or so either side of the of, of the match to, to make the most of the city because it is a you know, it's a beautiful city, and uh, you know it's a fantastic opportunity to to come to Paris and also see uh, a very high quality uh, game of football. You know, whichever the whichever the visiting team is to Park Place.
0: Yeah, and come to think of it, it really is a group of uh, four tremendous city trips. I think all four are definitely worth uh, going to Istanbul. Of course, a fantastic city. Uh, Brugge is an amazing city to visit. Paris, of course, and Madrid. So, um, if you're considering going. Go to all all four if you could, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the situation I'm in at the moment. Where I mean, obviously, I'm lucky enough to to live and work in Paris. Uh, I I know Madrid as a city because so I've been there a couple of times before, but I will be going back for the Real match, and I'm interested to uh, to, to discover uh, Istanbul and uh, Bruges as well because they're uh, they're two cities that I've never seen before, but I've heard good things about them, and you know, this is uh this is another. Uh, you know another another plus points another recommendation so i'm um, definitely looking forward to, to checking both of them out
0: well thank you very much jonathan johnson psg correspondent for espn we'll be continuing our group a preview with real madrid next And from Part 2 are the UEFA Champions League record winners, Real Madrid. Um, obviously, the winners in, in three of the past four years. Not so lucky last season, um, but they are, of course, on paper at least, the biggest club in Europe. And here to talk to us about Real Madrid is the Spain correspondent for the London Evening Standard, Ben Hayward. Thank you for joining us, Ben. Hello, Con, How are you doing? And Ben, you're of course uh, mainly a football journalist focusing on the Spanish uh, league and, and of course Real Madrid, I guess, because you're based in Madrid, if, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes, that's right. I cover La Liga and yeah, I'm based in Madrid, but but essentially somewhere between Madrid and Barcelona, I pretty much come and go between the two, covering Real Madrid and Barcelona, which are pretty much the two biggest clubs in the world. So yeah, that, uh, that keeps me busy.
0: Yeah, and that's why I watched my words a little bit there because Barcelona fans may disagree with uh, Real Madrid being the biggest club in the world, but I think statistically you can't really uh, uh, deny Real Madrid's supremacy over the history of uh, global football.
2: Yeah, I think they're the biggest. I mean, you know, Barcelona have just had probably the, the, the greatest era in their history. Uh, you certainly under Pep Guardiola and uh, winning, um, you know, Champions Leagues, winning a couple of trebles and obviously with, with Lionel Messi and everything. But, you know, Real Madrid have 13 European Cups and, uh, you know, um, I, I think they're probably still uh, the biggest club in the world, even though Barcelona have, have certainly closed the gap now. They're, they're pretty close.
0: Yeah, and even in that dominance, that, that that almost, what is it, more than a decade of dominance from almost two decades, I guess, from Barcelona, Real Madrid still went from 8 to 13. So even in that dominant period for Barcelona, Real Madrid still uh, won the most amount of Champions League trophies, if I'm not mistaken. So undeniable, I guess. Um, not that I'm a Real Madrid right. fan or anything, they're, by they're the way. kind of
2: frustrated each other in a way, you know, yeah. because Barcelona have been winning the leagues every year, and, and Real Madrid fans are frustrated because they can't win La Liga, uh, you know, apart from uh, a couple of times, you know, in the last decade. And then, you know, Barcelona fans are frustrated because while they're dominating at home uh, in the league and the cup, you know, Real Madrid are, uh, still winning the, have still been winning the Champions League. So, uh, yeah, they, they, both, they both have their issues, shall we say.
0: Yeah, and a tough gr- draw here in the Champions League, too. I think a very tough group uh, with Paris Saint-Germain coming out of pot one, of course, now Real Madrid out of pot two and then Club Brugge and, and triad are the other two pots is definitely going to be an interesting group but let's talk a little bit about Real Madrid how did they manage to qualify for the, the Champions League this season how did they fare in uh, La Liga last season we already alluded to it a little bit that Real Madrid have gotten frustrated a little bit by Barcelona in uh, the domestic league
2: yeah I mean it was a very difficult season actually last season um you know the last two seasons really have been difficult for Real Madrid of course um, the season before last they went on to win the Champions League for the third time in a row under Zidane, the, the famous 3 Uh but that um, maybe um, papered over some of the cracks that we saw. Uh, it wasn't the same um, dominant Real Madrid that we'd seen in 2016-17 in when they won La Liga. Uh, They won the Champions League, also emphatically beating Juventus uh, in the final. Uh, In Zidane's last season, there were problems in La Liga. They finished in third place, way behind uh, Barcelona. Uh, But then, of course, they won the Champions League, so everything was kind of forgotten in a way. Last season, Zidane left, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo left, and, um, you know, the the team had a lot of troubles. Some of the things that we would seen the season before, and of course without Ronaldo as well, uh, and you know they only reached the last 16 of the Champions League they finished 19 points behind Barcelona in La Liga in third place you know comfortably qualifying for the Champions League but not really good enough um, for a team like Real Madrid who was supposed to be you know challenging on all fronts let's be honest so uh, a very very disappointing season uh, for Real Madrid last one
0: yeah and let's immediately address the elephant in the room Cristiano Ronaldo you mentioned him already of course, this is the post-Ronaldo era for Real Madrid that started last season. And generally, you'd say, well, you know, maybe there's a transitional year, but to probably Barcelona will run into the same problem when Lionel Messi ends up leaving or retiring or whatever. So with that season under their belt, that transitional season now, there's been a little bit of movement on the transfer market this window. Eden Hazard, a big move coming in from Chelsea, of course, but I believe he's injured right now. Um, didn't look super fit in preseason, but that's normal for Hazari tends to put on some weight. But who are the key players now for Real Madrid now that Ronaldo has left? Who are the guys that are going to have to make it happen for Madrid in the Champions League and the season in general?
2: Well, I think it's understandable that, you know, Real Madrid would miss Ronaldo and, you know, he scored 450 goals in nine seasons at the club, which is just, you know, phenomenal. So take those goals out of the equation and other players need to step up and you know that wasn't the case last season obviously um gareth bale had his problems through injury uh benzema scored uh, about 30 goals last season had a, a good season but it wasn't enough you know um um as i said you know ronaldo maybe papered over some of the cracks in his last season at the club and you know without him there, um last year then we really noticed some of the teams deficiencies. I feel the the midfield now is, is getting older. It was supposed to be the t- top priority for Roger to bring in a, a midfielder. As Zidane wanted to bring in Paul Pogba in the summer. Uh, that didn't really happen. So, um, yeah, you mentioned Azad. I think um, there's going to be a lot of responsibility for him this season. He's injured, as you say, at the moment. It's, it's only a minor problem. He should be back, you know, once the international break is out of the way. And, uh, you know, he's going to be very, very important and Gareth Bale having stayed at the club in the summer when we all thought he was going to leave, I think he's going to be important as well. He's been a starter for Real Madrid in each of the first three league games. He scored both goals for the club um, at Villarreal in La Liga on Sunday. And yeah, let, let's see if Bale can, can have better luck, uh, maybe with injuries this season. I think he's going to be a very, very important player. Uh, for Zidane uh, in what's been a bit of a turnaround really and, and also James Rodriguez you know, getting a second chance at the club when he looks certain to leave. Obviously he's spent the last couple of seasons at, at Bayern Munich. So um, yeah, not the big changes maybe we expected at Real Madrid over the summer and it's going to be a lot of responsibility on Azad to perform, on Benzema as well to, to score goals and, and maybe on Luka Jovic as well to deliver after signing in the summer.
0: Yeah, and it's a question whether you can put that much of a responsibility on a a 20-year-old striker. I believe he's 20 or 19 even. Uh, Very young striker, very uh, talented, of course. Um, And and similar situation kind of what we saw with Paris Saint-Germain too, with Neymar, the entire summit's kind of like, Everyone assuming he's going to end up leaving, uh, whether it would be to Barcelona or Real Madrid, but then he ended up staying. Now, of course, you know, with Gareth Bale, everyone was expecting him to go to China. He ended up staying. So some funny parallels there between uh, the the Pot 1 and Pot 2 teams in this group. Um, But you also spoke about the coach, Zinedine Zidane. He left at the beginning of last season. Um, I believe uh, Solari came in to replace him from the youth uh, team. Uh, That didn't work out too well. Uh, And then, of course, Zidane returning now in what was expected him to... I guess people expected him to rebuild the team. And you already said Pogba is a player he wanted to bring in. He seemed to have some issues with with Bale. Uh, What kind of football is is Zidane trying to play with this new Real Madrid post-Cristiano Ronaldo, where everything revolved around Ronaldo, basically?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, Karen Obviously, remember that, uh, first of all, it was uh, Julio Lopetegui that came in to replace Zidane. The right, former, but that was uh, so speaker. so short, I already uh, forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't go well. And I don't think he really had the time um, that he wanted and maybe needed to, to change the entire playing style um, at Real Madrid. And, you know, it didn't go well. Then Solari came in. Uh, things went well for a while, and then that, in that... Um, Calamitous week, space of a week where Real Madrid lost La Liga, lost the Copa del Rey, and lost uh, the Champions League against Barcelona at home a couple of times, and then against Ajax, everything went wrong. And Sudan came back, you know, as uh, as something of a hero, really. Um, but you you ask about the playing style, and, and that's an interesting one because uh, you know one of the the, the big criticisms of Sudan is you know. Uh, even now, after all this time, we're not entirely sure uh, about his tactical plan. Obviously, it made sense with Cristiano Ronaldo to, uh, you know, um, to put a lot of crosses into the box. Uh, Ronaldo's probably the best header of the ball uh, in world football, and he scored a lot of goals that way. And, and, and Ronaldo, Ronaldo could also score, you know, uh, out of nothing with individual brilliance. And um, yeah, you know, with Real Madrid's midfield, Luka Modric, Tony cross. There was the creative ability there um, to be able to to feed Ronaldo. Uh, we saw Benzema playing in a much more unselfish role, dropping deep uh, to set up Cristiano uh, or to set up Gareth Bale. But Real Madrid were essentially uh, a counter-attacking team, and they were devastating at it. They were, you know, they were fantastic at their best. Uh, they were certainly brilliant at soaking up the pressure in Europe, and then uh, with the, the quality in midfield. Uh, being able to, to break uh, at speed and, and they had that technical technical ability as well. But there's some doubts now about what Real Madrid are trying to do under Sudan. What what is the tactical plan? Uh, the midfield, as I said, is, is getting older uh, than before. Uh, against Villarreal, for example, they bombarded uh, the area with with crosses uh, and didn't score any goals that way. And uh, with with Ronaldo now not at the club. It maybe doesn't make so much sense uh, to play that way. So I think maybe it's going to be difficult um, for Sidan this season uh, without Cristiano. And as I said, with, with the midfield getting a little bit older, I think the club could do with a better technical, tactical plan. And I think there's big question marks over whether Sidan could deliver that.
0: So what would you highlight as uh, the major strength right now for Real Madrid and their major weakness right now? What are Paris Saint-Germain-Galtz, right, and and Killebrugge going to have to look to try and exploit
2: if they want to uh, upset Real Madrid? Well, in terms of uh, the major strength, I mean, Real Madrid's squad, you know, it it has uh, some weaknesses, but let's be honest, it's still a tremendous squad full of world-class players, you know, uh, the likes of, of Luka Modric, Toni Kroos, uh, Isco uh, James Rodriguez Gareth Bale uh, Eden Nassar Benzema I mean world class players who you know any of whom are match winners on their day so um, you know for, for the problems that For all the problems that that maybe I've highlighted uh, before, you know, Real Madrid still have uh, a a wonderful team, wonderful players uh, that are capable on their day of of winning any match in any competition. So I think that makes Real Madrid dangerous. And, um, you know, in terms of weaknesses, defensively, they haven't been good. I mean, obviously in pre-season, they struggled a lot. And... um, That that was when Casemiro was missing. Casemiro is the only defensive midfielder now at the club. So if he gets injured, that's a big problem for um, Real Madrid. But in any case, I think Real Madrid's defence has struggled. Sergio Ramos, I don't think, has had a good start to the season. He made a calamitous error at the weekend against Villarreal. He he looks way off his best for me. That partnership, uh, Ramos and Varane, has been great over the years. But at the moment, it's looking shaky. Marcelo, if he plays on the left, is an area that um, you know many teams will look to exploit. Last season, he was very, very poor, and uh, you know was ex- exploited by by a lot of different teams. They would attack down his side uh, and often score goals. Obviously, Real Madrid have brought in Fernand uh, Mendy uh, in the summer, and he made his debut against Villarreal. He was good. Um, in that match and it may be something that Zidane looks at in the Champions League if if he wants the team to be defensively um, stronger he may pick Mindy over Marcelo but if Marcelo plays then um, there's going to be problems in defense I think and yeah as I mentioned Ramos and Varane, bit of a concern as well.
0: When you take a look at the the draw with Paris Saint-Germain of course coming out of the first pot and then Klubbrugge and and Galtry out of pot 3 and pot 4 when you look at this group, do you think Real Madrid should have any struggles qualifying for the next round? Um, where do you expect them to finish, or and how do you expect the, the, the group in general to uh,
2: finish after the sixth match day? Well, they shouldn't have any problem qualifying for the next round. I mean, you know, Real Madrid have never not qualified from this first uh, from the group stage in the Champions League, and uh, you know, if you do, if you look at this group, then you know, you have to say that. That Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain are the, are the clear favourites to go through. Um, I think the games against PSG are going to be interesting, and I don't think Real Madrid are going to have um, everything all their own way um, in those uh, fixtures. Uh, but I do think um, they'll be too strong for for Club for Brugge and for Galatasaray. Uh, I think. I'm sure that that Real Madrid will get through it, you know, it would be um, a disaster if they didn't and um, I think what we might see them go through in second place though I'm not convinced uh, about Real Madrid at the moment although they've had a a decent start to the season they've won one game so far, drawn the other two, they remain unbeaten after what was a very difficult pre-season. I think they'll get through this um, with few problems but I think it might be in second place behind PSG. And then, from your
0: knowledge on the other two teams, who do you expect third and fourth place will go to?
2: I mean, you you will know better than me. You know, living in Belgium and, and, and being Turkish, obviously. Um, I yeah, you know, I like the look of Club Brugge. Um, let's see uh, what they can do in, in the competition. It's it's good to see them there, and um, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure, but um, maybe maybe Club Brugge to to get third place, but um. Yeah, I, I'm not sure at the moment. I think I think PSG and Real Madrid will, will be too strong for the other two.
0: I think that's a fair assessment, but surprises can always happen in football, of course. Um, so finally, Ben, before uh, we end this segment, um, do you have any good tri- tips for fans of Club Brugge, Kraltschrein, Paris Saint-Germain, who decide to make the trip to Madrid for the away game? Is there anything they have to go and do somewhere? They have to go and eat something they have to try? Uh yeah, any travel tips?
2: It's <laughs> a good one. Um, there's so many places in Madrid. You know, um, the, just the, the, the whole area around Plaza Mayor and Sol is is uh, great for visitors, and uh, I'm sure there's lots and lots of you know cafes and bars and restaurants around that area. It's a really really lively city. Obviously. Um, it's a football city as well. Um, I don't know if uh, they'll be able to, to to coincide it with, you know, doing a uh, doing a tour of the the Bernabeu or doing a tour of the of the the Wanda, um, some two great stadiums in Madrid. And of course, uh, maybe something that, that perhaps fans um, you know wouldn't think to to visit. Uh, there's a place in Madrid called uh, Templo de Debod. It's uh, an Egyptian temple which is really really beautiful and you can go there and watch the sun go down uh, and that's something that um, yeah, maybe fans might not uh, consider doing but it's something I would recommend. Okay, thank you Ben Hayward, Spanish
0: football correspondent for the London Evening Standard. <laughs> And from pod 3 we are focusing on Club Brugge, the runners-up in Belgium last season. And joining us right now is Guillaume Mabe, from, a Belgian football journalist and also editor for Nieuwsblad in Belgium. And podcast host for Shotcast. If you speak Dutch, go check that out. He hosts it <laughs> with gert geize and uh, Lars Godot. So uh, definitely if you speak Dutch, go give it a, a look. There's some uh, fun stories in there from time to time. Uh, Sinan Bollat has been addressed. Uh, fun stories about Mbaye Diagne from his time in Belgium his previous time in Belgium. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Guillaume, for joining us again. Yeah, Um, no problem, Con. And of course, you were on last season as well when we did uh, the preview for Rissing Genk, his opponent at the time Mm -hmm. in the Europa League. And uh, of course, many of those players have uh, since scattered across Europe after Genk won the Belgian League title. They were very successful last season. But probably one of their biggest departures was coach Philippe Clement. And guess where he ended up? Klubbruggen of course, which is Mm -hmm. Galtzray's opponent in the Champions League. So let's get straight into it. First and foremost, let's talk a little bit about how Klubbruggen managed to qualify for the Champions League. Um, How did they do in the league last season? What has changed in the meantime and how did they get through the qualifiers?
3: Yeah, so uh, the answer only on that question would take about an hour, I think. But, um, yeah, Bruce last season uh, became second. It was uh, actually a logical win for uh, for Geng, the title race. They they were foremost uh, the best team with the best coach. Maybe also with the players uh, who were... the most in shape and, uh, and just delivered the most. Uh, but Bruges, in the meantime, has uh, yeah, poached the, the coach of the champion, Philippe Clément, who has a history at Bruges as a player, as an assistant coach, as an, uh, trainer of a trainer of a youth team. So um, he is also seen as a very modern coach who, who likes to, to use statistics, who likes to analyze data, who does a lot of video work, who also is very good in, in communication with his players and and the players, especially those who won't play during games. So actually, he's almost, um, yeah, uh, a a great package deal, actually, as a coach. So his um, return to Bruges has been very important for a club because he manages to make the most, yeah, make the strengths... Look nice from Rouge and also has uh, the skill to eliminate all the weaknesses. Um, how did they qualify for Europe? Um, well, um, they had Dynamo Kiev as a first opponent, which actually went quite easily. There was a 1-0 win at home. And after that, a 3-3 uh, draw in uh, Ukraine, which was actually a hell of a game with... Um, a lot of chances for Dynamo Kiev in the beginning of the game, and Bruce then on a corner uh, equalized, and yeah, it went so on so on. Uh, Ukraine could have been the, could have made the the winning goal, but uh, eventually Bruce managed to. Yeah, to to win quite easily. I, I would have expected Dynamo Kiev to be better. And in the last qualifier, uh, Las Clens, the uh, Austrian team came up, who doesn't have the quality to be a Champions League team, but they do have the mentality and the tactics to to make it every team difficult because they love to play high press. And you never know if they succeed in scoring one or two goals in the first 15 or 20 minutes, then um, they are also able to. To lay back and make every opponent uh, difficult because they have to play against Walden, a wall. Then a wall who uh, also knows how to play a counter attack. But Bruges also uh, managed to um, to beat them. And I said that corners, uh, the corner goal against Dynamo Kiev was very important. It has been important throughout the Europa, uh, throughout the qualifications because I think they've scored four out of or five out of seven goals. Uh, came after a set-piece situation and three of them were corners so um, Bruges know their set pieces and it's an additional weapon to the normal regular strengths of uh, of the team
0: Yeah, so let's highlight a little bit of those strengths uh, in terms of the key players for the team Who would you say are the most <coughs> important players for Club Brugge and uh, for example who is respo- is responsible for those uh, great set pieces?
3: Well, um, you must say Hans van Aken. Hans van Aken is a Belgian golden shoe, which is the prize or the award for the best player in uh, in the competition. And he is more than ever the leader of this, uh, of this bunch of players. He has been in Bruges for several years now. There was also interest from Ajax uh, last summer. But he uh, stayed in Bruges and uh, also got a new, better contract. He always was one of the key players of the team, but now you can say he is the solely key player, because he plays more in the center of the field, despite the fact that uh, in the previous seasons bruce used the 3-5-2 system where he was forced to go out to the left wing or came from the left wing to the center now he's more uh, he has a more free role but yeah, you, you could say that his, his natural role or his natural position is the center of the field, so he appears there a lot of the times. And he is um, he's a real playmaker. Um, he has the looks of a, of a target striker. He's about 190, 191 meters high. So um, he doesn't look like a very technical skilled player, but he really is. And he has the finesse. And the passing skills of um, what could we say a Spanish playmaker who is one meter sixty. So um, he's definitely important. He also uh, scores uh, a lot on those set pieces uh, with the head. He also always manages to to be there on the right place together with Simon Daly, who is a new central defender. Those two are actually the main targets during those set pieces. And those set pieces are being kicked by Ruud Former, who is a captain of the team who is a Dutchman, uh, but also has been in Bruges for now six years, I think. And he really has a very fine pass, a very fine kick in him. And uh, is also the heart of the team. If you combine, combine those technical players who are also... Uh, who also have the traditional Bruges mentality of of going full full gas dur- during the games for 90 minutes. Um, if you uh, combine them with a new striker like David Ocarrekar, who has a real who has a nose for goals, and um, speedy wingers like Persita, who came over from Union who is a second tire team in Belgium, uh, together with Emmanuel Dennis or Kripp Yata, wingers who were there last season and the season before in Bruges, then you know you have a combination of skilled, technical players, speed and people who know to make a goal. So would definitely say that those are traditional qualities, but Bruges manages to um, to make them work in the team who plays normally in a, in a 4-3-3, but could easily go uh, into a 3-defender system or something else. Actually, the coach doesn't like to, to place names or tags on the system. He believes in principles, not in formations. So let's say that he doesn't speak of a 4-3-3, but he would rather prefer that we speak of when... Bruges is in possession. He would love to have seven players before the ball and only uh, a defense that stays behind of three players. So that's also something that characterizes Bruce a modern team that wants to, that, that knows how modern football should be played and tries to, yeah, to, to make it happen.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, David Okereke, of course, a new transfer, uh, young 22-year-old Nigerian striker who's already scored four goals in five games. But during mm-hmm. uh, the, the deadline day, I believe, um, of course, Galatasaray's Mbaye Diagne was brought in on loan. Uh, how do you see him yeah, fitting yeah. into the team?
3: Well, yeah, it it will be yeah it will be a nice experimental case actually. I didn't manage uh, I didn't name them during the, the strength of the team because uh, we haven't seen them play yet. We also remember him by Diagni from his time at Leeds and Westerlo, where. Um, he was, yeah, a crazy genius. He definitely uh, knew how to how to play football, but uh, next to the pitch, he, he had his stories. Uh, and the fans of Galatasaray all also have more love hate relationship with him, which turned into more of a hate relationship during the last months of his stay there. So um, he definitely has some qualities. I don't expect that he will carry the the entire attack of Bruges. But um, as you say, he could be used as a target man as well. He definitely knows how to score a goal. He isn't the best one during the um, combination uh, or during the build-up towards the goal. So uh, you could say he is an addition to the team. It it makes it possible for Philippe Clement maybe to play a different style of football when things are going tough. Uh, But I won't expect that he will play and start every game and be on the pitch for ninety minutes. It's it's more like an addition in, in um, in the entire squad, uh, more than making him uh, the key player in attack. Would you
0: say that Okereke is maybe Clement's new uh, Samata-like project? Someone he, you think he can uh, turn into a similar type of goal-scoring threat?
3: Well, uh, Samata from Genk, he is uh, he um, especially, next to the fact that he is extremely uh, skilled before goal, he also knows where to run during build-up. Uh, Samata, if you look at a heat map of him, you would see he, I think, 40% of the time, you can find him on the left or the right wing. And he loves to to yeah sit back, to to go between the defensive and the midfield line of the opponent, uh, be playable there, and when he receives the ball, he gives it back to the midfielder, or he even turns and makes an action on his own. Um, so he's definitely a dynamic uh, attacker, not the normal or, normal or the classic type of number nine that uh, we all grew up with. Um, and David Kareke also is a very dynamic player, attacker, who really wants to to help the team you you won't say he's an, he has a big ego and only waits on opportunities so he can score a goal and then be the hero of the of the day you actually if you just would look to david okoreke you would see that he is running the entire time in spaces spaces where he is needed for build up but uh, won't be scoring. Uh, in the beginning of the season, I also said in our podcast um, that uh, David Okereke would have a love and hate relationship with the fans, but also with the media. Because there will be games, uh, like now happened uh, three or four in a row where he won't score or won't give an assist, but will be useful for the team. And a striker, it's very difficult to to... Emphasize his importance when he doesn't uh, reach his numbers. So um, in that case, you could say that he will be similar to Samata because Samata had the same spell during uh, the time of um, uh, Clement at Genk, So um, yeah, it's actually a very nice attacker to to look to on a tactic in a tactical way. And you could say that he is kind of the one is Samata that uh, Clement used at Genk.
0: Sounds to me that Mbaye uh, Diagne will uh, have a tough time getting uh, starts for Brugge this season, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, because
3: also the strikers, uh, there are also two or three other strikers in the team, in the squad. So um, yeah, it's it, it's a very competitive uh, line to uh, these days in Bruges because you think together with the wingers, you maybe have eleven or twelve players who uh are keen on playing and there are only three positions so it will be a very tough uh, tough battle between them
0: and another player that might be of interest to most of our listeners is uh, Matej mitrovic he moved uh, to brugge i think uh, two seasons ago from or one mm-hmm. and a half season ago from Bichitech. How has his stint at the club been
3: well um he was there first on loan and he uh, impressed immediately um, but back in those days there was a buyout option um, that uh, Bruges could trigger for 5 million euros and that was seen as a lot of money because at that time um, the record transfer of Club Bruges was Hans Van Ack together with Koen Daarden, who is a, a winger in the beginning of the, of the millennium and racing Hank too, uh, and that was for about 4-5 or five million, that was a record transfer fee. So actually Mitrovic, a central defender who was good in the team, but uh, yeah, w- wasn't the, the key player of the team or uh, wasn't the, the preferred player by the fans. All of a sudden he was just a good addition that everybody appreciated. He would have been, yeah, uh, he would cost the same than those records transfers. Now, nowadays those records are uh, long gone. Bruges has um, paid a lot for uh, new players, but they also received a lot for uh, outgoing players. And Mitrovic, um, also his, um, th- that clause in his contract was triggered, so they also brought him in. Um, well, then he uh, had some injuries and also some difficulties with uh, getting back in the team after those injuries. Because if you compare him with Brandon Mechelen, who is now an international in Belgium, which means a lot if you know that Belgian internationals uh, in defense are names like Vertongen, company, Alderwereld. Um, then um, Mitrovic was, was ha- having difficulties uh, mostly with build up play. Under Ivan Leko, it was very important that midfield that defenders were contributing to, to the build up uh, with a lot of strong, uh, yeah, very precise passes, short passes, but also precise long passes, who mm, make it possible for the team to, to switch uh, the sides going to the other flanks. And uh, Mitrovic was struggling with that. And then he also had a, I think it was during a European game, I, in a Champions League game where he made an on-goal. And that wasn't a very great performance from him. And nowadays with Simon Deli uh, who came over, um, he is a very strong defender uh, combined with a, a very great technical ability. So um, you could say that if everybody is fit, the first options for Clement are Deli, and Mechle, because he loves to play with two at the back and not with uh, three, so Mitrovic, yeah, uh, falls out, and you could say he is the the first replacement in the ideal scenario of Bruce right now at the moment. Yeah,
0: and an important figure for Brugge in the the last couple of years was of course Stefano Denswil, uh, and you also already mentioned Dilly. Did he adequately replace Denswil? You feel like?
3: Yeah, um, Denswil was also very um, very great, very good in the in the build-up. He, uh, but I think even Deli is better because he he loves to to take risks in the back, and it's a very strange player. If if he if it succeeds in what he does, it's magical. You, you it, it's a rare situation where a central defender can uh, place a striker directly alone for a goal. Deli also already managed to do that twice. Uh, I think in the game against Sint-Ruiden in uh, the competition and uh, one other time. But if you make that pass, it, there's a lot of risk that, that it won't succeed. And then it's important to know where you lose that ball. And Dilly managed to lose those balls in the defensive line of the opponent, where it's intercepted there. But also, sometimes he is, yeah, I don't know how you should call it, but sometimes he he just wants to, to place the ball uh, better for him, so he can give the pass, but then there's an interception from an attacker. So... He combines great skill, great yeah risk, great yeah great attribution to the to the build-up with actually some stupid mistakes. And he's 25 or 26 years old, so that's probably also the reason that Club Rouge could now buy him and not another big European team, uh, because the things he d- he successfully does are brilliant. But every game you still have one or two situations where you think, from, hmm, this sh- this could have been done differently, and now the team is in problems. There haven't been goals coming out of that or, or only dangerous situations, but there will be a time that De Lee will be responsible for an, uh, for a, an important goal from the opponents, and um, we all see it coming right now. But I still prefer having De Lee in the team for the positive attribution that he has, rather than putting him out for the possible mistake he could make.
0: Sounds a lot like, uh, remember very much uh, when Belgian clubs were playing in in the Champions League in the past where the commentators would mention, well, you know, he makes those mistakes in the league, but it doesn't really cost him anything. But here in the Champions League, you you pay dividends on any mistake. And that Mm -hmm. sounds like something that uh, could end up uh, haunting them against uh, Paris Saint-Germain or maybe Real Madrid if they pick up their steam. Uh, But before we move on to our next subject, uh, I want to quickly touch on those transfer records you mentioned earlier. And of course... You said that they were already broken this past summer. Uh, Simon Mignole, I believe, came in for $7 mm-hmm. million. And then, of course, former football manager, wonderkid Ever Balanta, was brought in from FC Basel. Uh, everyone who knows him from football manager will know him, know him as a central defender, but he was brought in as a central defensive midfielder, where he had been used at Basel recently, too. Who uh, mm-hmm. were for a long time uh, linked with Victor Banyama. That ended up not happening. Maybe for the best, he had some injury issues in the past. Um, but anything you can say about Simon Mignolet, because obviously he has already played.
3: Yeah, it's, it's actually strange that uh, I haven't mentioned Mignolet and. In, uh, in the long list of new players, of, of new key players of Bruges. Uh, and the reason for that is maybe because we are already so used at having a, a, a goalkeeper at Bruges who, who just does what he needs needs to do. Um, every time I see Simon Mignolet play in the shirt of Bruges, I think you're still way, way too good for this uh, competition because he, he does everything right and he does everything like you hope Uh, a goalkeeper would do. In Bruges they had a very bad history with goalkeepers, since Matthew Ryan left for Valencia, has been four or five years, Ryan now uh, plays at Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, And then, yeah, it it was so crazy, uh, even till the situation that in one season they used six different goalkeepers, which is, yeah, insane. It was uh, almost a world record, I believe, at that time. Um, and then, yeah, they, they decided to invest in, uh, in another goalkeeper, Carlo Leticia, who was a young talent, a young prospect. Um, but he didn't manage to, to, to become the, the, the real number one. And then Ethan Horvath, one of the six keepers who was used during the past season, um, he, uh, he, he regained his position. But there still were some doubts if he would have been ready. So Bruce said, Simo Mignole, who was always a dream for, uh, for the board to bring him in, they saw a window. They had the money, they had the Champions League qualification, and they managed. And uh, they had the Champions League opportunity to qualify because Mignolet uh, played against Lask, for example, and was a very important asset for uh, Bruce to uh, to yeah. qualify Didn't for the he group stage. Didn't he make his eventually. debut
0: uh, against Kiev? He did it.
3: Yeah, in the in the second game. So that was was also really important. And um, yeah, he came on and he immediately became uh, yeah a, a, a bacon of, of peace, of rest, of of. Yeah, it, it, it made the the defense even feel chill to put it like that yeah, because every pass confidence. he gives, every, yeah, yeah, every save he does, it's just by the book. It's it's textbook what a goal, great goalkeeper should do. So it's, it's it brings confidence and certainty. So uh, his role should uh, should be emphasized like I do now. Yeah.
0: And we spoke a lot about their strengths already now, but what would you say are Bruges' main deficiencies? What are their weaknesses? What do you think Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, or even Galtrai are going to have to look to exploit if they want to get points off of Brugge?
3: Yeah, it, it will be difficult to predict because Bruges didn't have to, didn't play a team that actually uh, is better than them right now. You could say that Dynamo Kiev has a lot of qualities, but they're not more qualified or doesn't have more quality in the in the in their squad than than bruce lusk was actually uh, uh, regarding to qualities not not the very best opponent so it will be a surprise for us as well to 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 see how bruce will play against real madrid against paris saint-germain will they be more defensive will they put up a wall i i don't think so because yeah you don't want to play for a point in, in your own house uh, against PSG or Real Madrid. You want to show something too. You want to believe or you, you hope that you have a chance. So you want those hopes turn into beliefs, turn maybe into opportunities, turn maybe in a in a legendary victory that people will talk about for 20, 25, 30 years. So, um, yeah, it's difficult to predict how they will play. And regarding weaknesses, yeah, compared with Real Madrid the quality difference is, is, is a main weakness. Um, you can also say that yeah, Bruges now loves to attack with also very high wingbacks, so there's always space behind uh, those two. Um, what if De Lee uh, makes a mistake? Um, so it, it's difficult to say right now because there haven't been much teams that put this, newly, this new modern Bruges into problems. So the... Um, Actually, the, the weaknesses now are, are almost positive weakness, weaknesses. Like, oh, they did forget to, to finish their chances and now they only played 0-0 at home against the Open. Uh, or they should have created more chances. So those aren't really weaknesses, in my opinion. Those are actually yeah strengths that haven't been as strong as expected. So it, it, it will be a surprise for us as well to see how um, where, where Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain or Galatasaray can see weaknesses in the, in these teams, in this team, and how they ex- will exploit them.
0: And then my final football-related question is uh, mm-hmm. really your predictions on the group. Where do you see Club ending? How do you see the final standings in this group in general? And where do you think they will struggle with most?
3: Yeah, um, let's say that it will be a battle for third place together with Galatasaray. It's classic prediction, but I still believe that, um, yeah... Everybody dreams of a scenario where Bruges, like uh, Ajax last year, can make it diff- can make it difficult to Real Madrid. But you still have to be fair that even if you can, I think there will be a period in in the home game, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, that Bruges will make it diff- will make it difficult to to Real Madrid. But uh, if you look yeah, combined with the game at Bernabeu, then Real will definitely get four out of six points. So with Piaget, the same. Piaget just has even more quality in my eyes than Real Madrid. They have the individual skills of a lot of players. Neymar will be there again. Uh, Cavani, Mbappé, of course. So they Also, the midfield is, is wonderful. So um, they it, it will be very difficult for Bruges to, to compete for a uh, for top two place. Uh, some people believe it but i think you're not very aware of the strength of international european football at this moment if you think that bruges could go for uh, for a second place and with galatasaray yeah it's it's actually the great unknown uh, everybody knows uh, the history between galatasaray and bruges especially in belgium because that was one of those games at home i think it was 2003 or 2002 where bruges i
0: think yeah, with his 2004 hair, right?
3: yeah so where they uh, won that uh, group stage game, so that's still one of the of the big victories in in Bruges history. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult to say how strong they are. Definitely, you will be able to to make a better comparison. But it 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 will be a battle for third place between those two teams, I think.
0: Okay, and then finally, my final question in general is, do you have any travel tips for fans who plan to make a trip to Brugge? Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Galtrai fans who want to make that away trip. It's of course a beautiful city, uh, but the stadium is located a little bit outside the city. What's the best way to get to the stadium? um, And what should they do when they're there?
3: Well, uh, first of all, get your ticket because uh, I've heard that. Uh, well, it's already sold out. Only with uh, people who are a member of the club, so uh, who have a season pass, they had the first choice to to be there for the Champions League seats, and uh, yeah, they all almost all accepted that. They they just also bought that mini membership for uh, for the Champions League group stage. So there won't be any more tickets left to sell. For away, so because I know and I've heard that a lot of away fans, especially also Turkish fans of Galatasaray, who maybe live in Belgium, who try to make an account on uh, the Bruges website and try to obtain tickets that are actually allocated to the home site. So that's definitely off the table because there just aren't any tickets anymore. Um, for the away fans, uh, yeah, I think you should love the atmosphere. Uh, in Turkey, Galatasaray, uh, it's, it's, a, it's different of course, but if you look in, in, in Belgian perspectives, to Belgian norms, Bruges is definitely one of the teams where they sing the most, they make the most uh, atmosphere, they create the most atmosphere. Um, so I would say enjoy it, uh, the stadium is old, very old, too old. Um, it's yeah it feels like it's coming down at a certain point so no uh, yeah it's not strange that bruce is looking for a new location to build a new stadium but yeah it's 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 maybe classic football style it's football back in yeah it's 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 that evening of football in the 80s where you come you see a traditional very stony stadium uh, with fans who who are very happy to be in the Champions League, who will support the the team no matter what, who uh, will whistle towards the referee when he makes even if it's a correct call that would uh, benefit the opponent. So um, you should and try to enjoy that. And next to that, Bruges uh, is definitely a uh, great city. But if you really Want to be in a nice city, and that's always have been a, a battle between Bruges and the city where I live in, Ghent. You could even come to, to Ghent, stay here overnight, have a lovely city trip, and then you can take the train to Bruges, which is 30 or 40 minutes away. And probably the hotel, or the Airbnb, or the motel, or the camping uh, places where you could stay overnight. Will be very will be a lot cheaper maybe in uh, in that period, because Ghent plays Europa League, so uh, they won't be there till Thursday. The fans, so uh, maybe if you look at price and you look at some cultural things and you look at, yeah, you, you just take the train and uh, and a bus and you're uh, at the stadium. You come back at night and you have a lovely evening in the, in the nightlife of Ghent. So uh, maybe that's a tip if you want. If you don't manage to to get a place nearby the stadium in Bruges, which will be more expensive uh, than elsewhere, I believe.
0: Yeah, and definitely bring a jacket because that away section it's it's okay, high yeah, indeed, and it's yeah. cold uh, and windy. I, I, I've been there myself. Uh, it's it's not uh, fun if it's a you know an European away game in November or something. Definitely bring a jacket.
3: Yeah, um, the stadium has is, isn't closed, so yeah. uh, there are uh, small. Yeah, small gaps in the stadium, and one of the main gaps is the the place between the away uh, fan section and uh, the east uh, tribunes of uh, of uh, the club. So that's definitely a great tip, but because even it will be maybe 18, 19, 20 degrees still uh, still there next week uh, on on that Wednesday evening. A jacket uh, is certainly necessary indeed.
0: And for the Galtzrai fans who don't have a ticket yet, you can go over to the Ultraslan uh, forums and you can apply for a ticket there. Uh, I know our co-host Umut just got one the other day, so I think they're still available, so you can Mm -hmm. try your luck and see if you can get a ticket still. Um, Guillaume Maba, thank you very much for your insights on Brugge. And of course, thank you for listening to this. But we will be continuing our preview next with Galatasaray. <laughs> and from Pot 4 are, of course, the Turkish League champions Galatasaray. And here to talk to us ab- about Galatasaray is our in-house expert, Uzer Dinjer. Uzer, thank you and uh, welcome to the show. Thank
4: you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's nice to be part of uh, a spin-off episode. Yeah,
0: this is, I, I think, going to be a great episode. Of course, we had Jonathan Johnson on for Paris Saint-Germain, Ben Hayward for Real Madrid and uh, Guillaume Mabe for Club Brugge. And uh, now you are the fourth guest, the honorary uh, guest for oh, Galatasaray, of course. Thank so uh, you're uh, among I, great I company.
4: Well, indeed, indeed. I hope to do justice to, as an ambassador to to to, to our club in this in this conversation, because we are amongst some big names: Real Madrid, PSG. In recent years, who become who become one of the, the top tiers of football, and of course, Bruges or as I should say properly Brugge, who have uh, been making some noise in recent seasons in the Europa League as well. So it's a fun, competitive group, and. Um, well, let's yeah, let's have some fun. Let's have some
0: fun, guys. <laughs> That's definitely an understatement. I think it's definitely going to be fun. A competitive group for sure. And if <laughs> man if Galatry managed to get out of this group, even into the Europa League, I think would be would be a good performance. But if they managed to get to the next round, that would be a, a serious achievement among uh, these uh, two really I big agree. I European agree. clubs. Um, I agree,
4: we, we, but we do, we do, we do have it in our genes to to succeed against all kind of against all the odds, and we like a challenge too, as we saw most recently in 2013, yeah. getting out of a group with uh, Real Madrid and Juventus in as well, and in such dramatic circumstances. So we love a challenge, we love the drama. I say, bring it on!
0: Yeah, and maybe in, in a way, it's even better to get a really difficult group like this because last season Galway obviously got a a good draw. Um But then the only thing you can really do is, is lose because you're expected to do really well in a group like that and it's it's never easy in the Champions League. The teams that are in the Champions League are always going to be quality sides. Yeah. Now, now you're kind of in yeah, a position... Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, now you're in a position of... You, you, there's not really anything to lose and you can only win. Even if you just beat one of the two in one match, that's still a, a good a- accomplishment.
4: Yeah, That that's very true. And I, and I think if you if you look back to last year's group, I couldn't have wished for a better group myself, and you can see even from my tweets of the day mm-hmm. uh, last year, those the three other opposition teams were exactly the ones I and probably millions of other fans wanted. But unfortunately, as you say, we kind of fell flat on our face last season. I mean, we had other extenuating circumstances; we played without a striker mm-hmm. and this and that. But ultimately, it was the group that we wanted, and it's and it, and we fell fell flat the first hurdle. In this case, we have some challenging opposition. We've got the world's media on facing Istanbul as well so it's an opportunity for us to relish and we can only win if we win a couple of games here then it'll only be a boost for us
0: and you got a striker this year
4: exactly we did we did <laughs> one who one who is gonna be in my opinion our key player in fact
0: well let's hope so for um, uh, the Turkish coefficients yeah. and for right
4: yeah exactly I mean it's it's probably quite unusual for for, for, uh, for this spin-off series, to, when you talk to people and ask about their key players, they, they mention someone who's never worn the jersey of their club before. But in this case, Radamel Falcao, the, such is the weight and expectation on his shoulders. Um, and the kind of the pressure that's going to be on him to deliver is he's definitely going to be our, our key player going forward. Um, but having said that, he's a big game player. He's played in many different leagues, in some top clubs. He loves playing in European competition so i think it's only natural that he would be also the, the key player for the opposition to watch as well of course we all know he's he's this big strong guy he's got amazing aerial presence accuracy of his shots he can come in playing from the box play outside the box he can score from anywhere so rademar farcaro is definitely the one to watch for gala
0: yeah, and uh, we immediately jumped over to key players because obviously Galatasaray won the league in Turkey last season. They qualified directly for the Champions mm-hmm. League group stages. So there's not really much to talk about in, in regards to how did they get there. Um, but apart from Radolfo, look, apart from Radamel Falcao, as you rightfully pointed out, he hasn't played a match yet. But obviously he is going to be a big part of this Galatasaray side. Who else would you highlight as key players for the team that are going to be essential for Galatasaray to do well in this group?
4: Mm. Well, I think two honorable mentions. I'll, I'll give a be to our two wingers, Ryan Babel on the left wing and Sofiane Feghouli on the right wing. Um, Babel contributes a lot with goals, and he's got an experienced, uh, cool head on his shoulders as well. Uh, we saw him deliver wonderfully for Gush in the Champions League a couple of seasons ago as well. He knows the league, so he can kind of he knows the league and the club and and the club's philosophy and everything, so he can kind of settle in quite quite comfortably in the Galatasaray eleven. Then you've got Fagouli as well, who we've had uh, playing in that right wing for some time. He is an excellent passer of the ball. He's making some great assists right now. He's taking a lot of responsibility and leadership on the pitch. So these two guys, Babel on the left, Faguli on the right, will need to be on their best form to pick out Falcao in the box, uh, especially against some of these esteemed defences that we'll be up against. And particularly to fill in any gaps that we might have in midfield creativity. Um, And I say that on the back of the fact that we made a lot of transfers in that area. But a lot of new players playing together, it might take a little bit of time to gel. So I think we'll be looking to these guys on the wings to make the instant impact to help out Farkar.
0: Yeah, and you, you did allude to those new transfers. Michael Seri in on loan from Fulham. Uh, Lemina in on loan from Southampton, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, Steven and Zonzi in on loan from AS Roma. Uh, and on top of that, you already have Eunice Belhanda. right do have a lot of luxury in terms of their central midfield right now. They they definitely have... a. a on paper, at least, a midfield that is definitely up to snuff to uh, Champions League standards.
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and I think the difference between uh, us having this conversation now and if we'd had this conversation a week ago it would have been huge, namely because of that uh, that gap in midfield. Uh, not to mention the fact that we have a striker now as well. But before, I think when the draw Champions League draw was made, we were all thinking, okay, Real Madrid, PSG, how can we even compete with these guys? Then you've got Berger, who are kind of a little bit of an unknown to to Turkish fans Um, also because they haven't been playing that regularly in the final stages of the Champions League but they're also a great team. Um, We might even struggle for third place is probably what was going on through our minds. But fast forward a week, now we have um, a Lemina who came in which was a kind of surprise last moment deal. We have Falcao which was a deadline day deal that was finalized. So suddenly we have a lot of heavyweight uh, talent and quality in the midfield to pair up with uh, our striker and our wingers. So now I think at the very least we should be able to compete with the big two in the group and we should feel relatively confident that we should at least be able to finish third in this group. So that's that's, that's I think the difference that the the extra midfield dynamos have brought to our mentality, our extra confidence.
0: So definitely okay. Galtzerai offensively are looking impressive. But how are they looking defensively in terms of, let's say, the weakness of the team? Would you agree that maybe defensively right are a little prone?
4: Well, Khan, you know, as a friend, this was kind of the question I thought you, uh, you weren't, you weren't going to ask me. So I'm a little bit disappointed that we have to talk about this because it's, it's a sore subject. But our defense really is um, not up to scratch compared to the midfield and attack uh, force that we have right now. It's a very imbalanced squad in that respect. Uh, we didn't make uh, any transfers in in the central defence area, where we have Luindama and Marcao. I think Marcao is, is quite weak. I think his positioning is poor. Uh, and then we have Luindama, his partner, who's quite slow, and he can often make some rash, harsh, bulldozer-esque challenges in the penalty box, which none of the things that you really look for in in, in a Champions League defensive duo, unfortunately. Um, then if you if you expand kind of your analysis of the defense and look at Nagatomo who is actually one of my favorite players and I've always praised him highly but even I have to admit that his form is dipped uh, of late and then you've got Mariano on the right wing who leaves a lot of defensive gaps because he goes forward a lot but I don't actually think that he's that productive when he goes forward either his crossing isn't up to scratch Uh, although I will admit one in in ten crosses maybe is a bit of a peach that that ends up in a goal so he's got that in his uh, armory he just doesn't we just don't see it enough from from mariano and of course we know that the way that terim likes playing with two explosive windbacks so these guys nagatoma and mariano are going to be up doing all the work on the flanks alongside for um, gulian bubble but they're going to be leaving a lot of gaps behind and i'm not sure lundama and Macau have the quality or maybe it's just the experience at this stage to be able to keep up with those household names of Real Madrid and PSG.
0: Yeah, and uh, maybe another point as well is that Martin Linus has not been included in the squad now. Of course, Galatasaray, any Turkish team, are only allowed fourteen foreigners. Linus was the sacrificial lamb uh, because, of course, Lemina and Falcao came in on, on deadline day. Diagne went to Club Bruges, interestingly enough. Um, but mm. Lemina then ended up joining, so uh, a foreign spot needed to be uh, freed up, and uh, that was uh, yeah. Martin Linnes, who was sacrificed, yeah. and he was a utility um, player because he played on both left and right back. And with those two aging fullbacks, you might have an issue in terms of what if one of them gets injured.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the the uh, description used of him being the sacrificial lamb is the right one because it conjures up this kind of like cringy, sad, tragic imagery of a lamb being being slaughtered. Uh, and Linnes is such a great guy and such a thing couldn't have happened to a better person. He's a great character on, on the pitch, off the pitch, and everyone is aligned in thinking he didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve this. And actually, we didn't deserve this either because, as you say, he is a great utility player. He can play left, he can play right, he can even uh, play in midfield if necessary. We've seen that in, in a few games in the past as well. So it's a shame that the way that the cookies crumbled has meant that Linus is the one who's been sacrificed because he is actually a really big loss for our squad depth in the, in the Champions League. Um, and I, and I, another thing for us to really think about is our potential weakness in attacks. We talked a lot about the defence, but um, uh, regular listeners of Football Ala will know my um, discomfort when seeing Belhanda in the starting lineup. let's say. Um, but I do think that he's a potential hole and a big weakness for us in that central attacking midfield position. He gives away possession way too often and way too easily, and that's a huge problem I mean, it's already a problem when you're playing in the Turkish Super League, but it's going to be a much bigger deal in the Champions League as well. He's quite lethargic, and his pa- passing accuracy just isn't up to up to the standard it needs to be. Um, he's not very strong. He's got he's got pretty bad temperament as well. So again, that could be a huge red flag in the Champions League if it turns out and translates as you know yellow cards or, or heaven forbid, red cards again in the Champions League. Um, but th- the question that this poses is, we signed. Uh, Lamina, we signed Seri and Nzonzi for the midfield trio. But where does this leave Belhanda? Because one of those three guys, or Belhanda, is going to have to make way in order to fit fit these players into the squad. And I'd be curious to see if, after a while, uh, Belhanda actually makes way for either Lamina or somebody else in, in that midfield sort of attacking position. I'd be curious to see if Tarim, uh gives Belhanda the chop after the first few rounds of the Champions League. If his performance isn't up to scratch, of course. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully hoping that he proves me wrong and throws egg on my face. I, I want nothing more. <laughs> but, uh, but we'll see about that.
0: <laughs> Great imagery right there. Um, so you mentioned <laughs> the big man there, Fatih Terim. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the man Fatih Terim, the coach Fatih Terim. How does he have Galatasaray play? What can Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid and Club Brugge expect when they're facing Galatasaray?
4: What can they expect when they're facing Okay, well... I suppose all guns blazing, chaos football is what they should expect. Um, Terim, the, the emperor, Imperator, always likes to set up his teams uh, in a way that they play the most exciting, the most attacking, drama filled football. So Terim is the man, after all, who, um, who, who fielded a 4 4 2 against Real Madrid in Madrid and had uh, both Drogba and Boraccio Maz up front, which was absolutely crazy uh downright actually irresponsible uh, at the time if we if we consider how that game went but um so i think he's he's one-dimensional in that respect because he plays all-out attack football however not very many coaches in europe play that that kind of football so it's not very easy to set your team up necessarily to counteract that because it's not something you're going to see in the league in your own domestic league or in the Champions League. so sometimes that all guns blazing approach actually takes Teams by surprise and can work in your advantage too. Um, in terms of the way Garzas are playing right now, Terim has been setting up the team in, in a 4-2-3-1 formation with, with, with uh, a, a central defensive midfielder and a more attack-minded central midfielder in that in that two position. So we're gonna likely to see we're gonna be likely to see Nzonzi uh, Zonzi and Seri as the as the defensive and the uh, central midfielders in that in that two. And then up front in the three. Um, likely to see uh, where, uh, Ryan Babel and uh, Sofian Faguli on the wings. Probably starting with Belhanda uh, in that number ten position. Maybe Le- maybe Lamino instead, or maybe just a, a, a shuffling of that triangle in midfield as well. Of course, not to mention we have um, these, we have the likes of Emre Mor who can come off the bench as well, who are really explosive, fast, kind of driven wing- wingers as well. Um, we've got Adem Biouk who scored a critical goal. Um, and he's shown at yeah, the weekend, and he's shown his quality time and time again when he's been playing at a Galatasaray jersey. So these kind of joker cards that Terim has on his bench could be quite important for Champions League as well. But uh, yeah, I mentioned before about Terim's uh, keenness to play with with his kind of um, with his wing, back, wing backs. So he often we can often leave, leave a lot of space in defence behind these guys. So uh, it's often we, in Europe we can see quite easy amateurish goals. That were kind of almost rule on football someone lifts the ball up someone else runs into the space and soars against uh, a, a muslera who's been left isolated by his defense so i can't unfortunately see us getting out of that habit right now i don't see any evidence from galatasaray to suggest that we fix that uh naivety in defense uh, so my biggest fear in the champions league is going to be leaving huge caverns of space in in the in the final third for the opposition to exploit but my hope is that we have the quality in midfield and up front to be able to offset that and um, and hopefully cause a few upsets in the league, in the Champions League, I should say. I keep forgetting which podcast we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and then finally, what are your predictions and expectations for the group? How do you see Sarai, uh faring in this group? What do you think will be the final standing after six match days? And is there an opponent you uh, expect Galsai to struggle with in particular? And who do you think are they going to uh, make uh, whose life do you think they're going to make difficult themselves?
4: Ooh, okay. That's so. fully loaded question. I like. I like it. Um, You're really putting me on the spot here, Khan. But um, okay, I'll, I'll start with this. So we signed, we signed 12 new players over the summer. So that's that's more than enough to construct an entire team. Um, but the challenge here is to get all these guys to gel together quickly enough. Uh, most of these guys that we've signed haven't even had the benefit of preseason, um, and so that's going to be a problem when when trying to get Terim's system to kind of. Uh, work in its, in, its, in its highest gear from the outset. So that's going to be a big challenge for us. But like I said, I think before, when the when the draw was made and we hadn't made these transfers, we were kind of watching planning on watching the Champions League games from, from behind the sofa. But now we can at least sit down with pride, crack open a bearing and get excited about these games because we do have a competitive team now at the very least on paper. So my prediction, my grand prediction is going to be that we will have a good home performance I'll say that much. i believe that we can win two games at home and draw the other one. So I think we'll remain unbeaten at home. And I think we can beat Brugge. And I think we can beat Real Madrid. And I think we'll draw against PSG. However, away from home, I expect us to lose all our games. <laughs> uh, <because> we... <laughs> <laughs> That's quite
0: dry. There's your English humour yeah. for you.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see, the thing is, we have an abysmal away record in the Turkish league already. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you expand the, um, the magnifying glass and look, compare that into the European context, oh, we have a really even worse record. I don't have the statistics near me, but I remember it's like one in, in very many games. Was two wins in
0: 26.
4: Uh, you know, I was hoping again that you wouldn't do this to me, but yeah, <laughs> two wins in <and> 26. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's poor enough for me to suggest that um, our away record is going to be pretty poor. I but can just two wins in a draw. if you'd like. Yeah, you see, I I like to set, I like to have an, a balance in my expectation. I'm being overly optimistic with my home record, and maybe overly pessimistic with my away record. So hopefully we will meet somewhere <laughs> in between. Um, but uh, I do expect us to have a good home form because of because of the incredible, uh, passionate display from our fans that always makes um, us the twelfth, always makes them the twelfth man. In some cases we've seen in the past the thirteenth man. The fans make such such a difference and cannot um overestimate the importance that full arena makes for for these european nights. we've yeah. seen it time and time again
0: definitely especially for yeah. turkish clubs we've seen that so yeah. often that uh, that atmosphere and and that's something that a lot of teams fear of course but exactly. probably real madrid uh not so much they're used to that but uh
4: well, you say that, you say that, but, uh, you say that but, but in 2013, of course, they were they were 1-0 up in the arena and, and flying on aggregate, and then suddenly in the second half, 1-2-3, Sledgehammer Gallagher so comes out, suddenly 3-1 up, a couple of goals away on aggregate, one more goal comes in from Drogba, but the referee was offside, and in a, had that goal gone in, there would have been a huge wave of red and yellow attacks, and I don't have... A shadow of a doubt that we would have qualified that game, and caused one of the great European upsets. But you know the potential is there. The fans did mm-hmm. their bit, but you know the referee, uh, the referee should have gone to Specsavers. So that's all I. Can say.
0: <laughs> well, uh, one thing is for sure: this is at least on paper, Galtry's best team. I would argue in the last three years for their Champions League campaign, they they look most ready. Uh, like you rightfully pointed out, last season they had that, that huge lack of a striker um and and maybe the year before i can't really recall what the big issue was back then but yeah it's it's this this is definitely um their their best team on paper of course an old squad has to be pointed out um how will they handle fatigue accumulating um it all depends a little bit on who you play when um but yeah that's a problem that I I don't yeah. really, I don't really think that many of the players, despite the fact that they're older, are physically declined yet. So it should not be a massive issue. I think.
4: That that's a good point. Um, the aging squad is is a real issue for us for in terms of planning, even in the short term. Um, but as you say, we haven't seen kind of physical manifestation that yet. Only Nagatomo and Mariano jump up Because Terim asked them to do a lot of running up and down the pit. So it, it does, it kind of understandable that it wears them out. And it makes it even more surprising, mm-hmm. actually, that because of that we don't have Linus in the squad. Because he would have been a great utility player to, to fill in for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 100%. And, and, and yeah. I, I always feel, feel like he's a little bit underrated. He got some... Harsh criticism early on when he first joined the club, but afterwards I felt like he kind of f- found his role in the team and, and always put in a decent performance. Um, feels like a little bit yeah. of an underrated player.
4: Absolutely agree with that, absolutely. And we have to thank Mustafa Denizli for signing Martin Lin as it was his his legacy of his, of his most recent tenure at the club.
0: So I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. Give me one, two, three, four uh, for the standings in this group.
4: Oh, okay, all right. Um... I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say PSG will top the group, and it, and it hurts me to say that because PSG is um, a club that's kind of sprouted out out of nowhere, and I don't like to see that kind of impact in in football translate to the Champions League. But their squad is so strong, their attacking prowess is so unbelievable that I can't see them not finishing top of this group. Real Madrid, meanwhile, a lot of people say that you know. They aren't the club that they used to be, especially now that Ronaldo's left, and to an extent I agree with that, but Real Madrid is still Real Madrid. They have mm-hmm. made a lot of investment in their squad, and I, I don't expect them to to be any sort of pushover just because Ronaldo isn't around. I mean, I do expect, from from a purely Galatasaray perspective, if you look at the times we've played Real in the last three, four years, it has been, Ronaldo has been that difference. I mean, mm-hmm. had it not been for Ronaldo, we would have been in, in the semi-final in 2013. That much is true. But... I don't know if that really, what happened a few years ago, is really going to translate into form today. So I think Real Madrid will finish second. I think Galt will finish third. But we'll give clubs a good run for their money. And I think we will, at the very least, go into the Europa League. So that's where I'm setting my stall right now. If anything beyond that, I'll be over the moon.
0: Well, good over luck it. to Galt Sarai. Thank you very much, Ozar Ginger, for your insights on Pleasure. the club, of course. Pleasure. And thank you very much to Jonathan Johnson, uh, Guillaume Mabe, and of course, Ben Hayward ...for his uh, insights on uh, Real Madrid as well. So thank you to all of of you uh, who contributed to this episode. And for those of you who are new to the podcast... ...please give us a subscribe and go back and listen to our other uh, Europa League previews. We previewed Trabzonspor's group, which consists out of uh, FC Basel, Getafe and Krasnodar. And uh, we also previewed Beshak group, which consists out of AS Roma, Wolfsburger from, from Austria... And um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and then of course we also uh, have a preview up for Besiktas's Group K in the Europa League. But that one you'll have to go and find on the Black Eagles Podcasts uh, podcast feed. Uh, we previewed their group, which consists out of Besiktas, of course, SC Braga, Wolverhampton Wanderers, of course, and Slovan Bratislava. Thank you all for listening, and see you all next week.